Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Green Mountain Dental Group. I'm Henry Chisholm, and there are a lot of things to talk about again today. Like, uh, it's crazy to think that, like, the amount of information I feel like we have to get through today is more than we had for, you know, entire months during the course of this pandemic. Like, I think there might be more to talk about just that we learned today than the entire month of... May, maybe? I think May was probably the low point. Um, So that's what we're going to do. Uh, heard this morning from Carl Durrell for the last time this week. Heard from, I guess, everybody for the last time this week. Um, but Carl Durrell, Frank Phillip, and... Oh, and that was it. We were supposed to get Jarek Broussard, but things went long and the timing was off and he had to go to class. So just those two. Um, also, I read through the Stanford note packets, 33 pages took quite a while because I I get distracted easily when I read things like I'm I I do that thing where you read like one line over like four times so invested a lot of time pulled out a whole bunch of great nuggets including the number of Disneylands that you can fit inside of Stanford's campus um, which you know that's that's like a nice tease so you guys can all come up with your guesses before we circle back how many Disneylands could you fit on Stanford's campus I don't know um but yeah, there's stuff like that. There's some good football stuff to use to build off of what we talked about yesterday about this Stanford team. Um, and the plan is to do exactly that today, kind of fly through the uh, press conference stuff, get through a whole bunch of notes stuff, just kind of add a little bit more depth to what we talked about with Stanford yesterday. And of course, it's also basketball signing day. Um no big news there. Well, I mean, that's not really true. The, the Buffs signed the best class in the history of their basketball program, so I guess that is some news. Um, but they were all guys who had already committed, uh, and the Buffs got the uh, signings. You know what? Let's actually just go through this real quick because um, it is important that we talk about this, and we haven't been talking about basketball enough. Um, so let's just jump in and talk about these basketball signings, and then we'll go all football for the last, like, three hours or whatever this podcast is going to be. Um, so four uh, prospects signed national letters of intent to play at Colorado um, starting next season, um, which is awesome. Today's the first day of the NCAA early signing period. The, that is why they all signed today. Um, the four of them are Quincy Allen, Julian Hammond third, Lawson Lovering, and Javon Ruffin. Um, two of those players, 
uh, Quincy Allen and Lawson Lovering are ranked in the top 100 prospects in the entire country. Um, the the class as a whole, uh, according to 247sports.com, is ranked fourth in the Pac-12 and ranked 16th in the country. So that's incredible. I mean, it, it's very easy to draw that connection of if you have this sort of class, what do you expect to see in a couple of years? What you expect to see is a team that's ranked number 16 in the country. That would be the talent just performing up to expectations, not exceeding them at all. That's really exciting. Uh, Rivals had it ranked just a little bit lower at number 19. Um, it's also worth noting that last year's class was ranked 41st in the country by 24-7 sports and 32nd by rivals. So this kind of group of guys is what we're building off of. And that's what Tad Boyle said. He said it's an exciting class, especially when you add that group of guys to the freshmen that we have in the program right now. That is a core group of nine guys that are going to take this program, hopefully, to the next level. So there you go. Um, We'll dig in pretty quickly um, to, to, to... Quincy Allen, he's a forward, ranked number 49 on the ESPN 100 list. Um, Rivals has him at 68. 24-7 Sports has him at uh, 71. And that's uh, awesome. Also comes from Maryland, played in the Mid-Atlantic Conference in Maryland, which is one of the top private school leagues in the entire country. And obviously you're not just playing in Maryland if you're in that. Um, Whole bunch of offers. And uh, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, Quote from him, he said, I felt really welcome when I came out there, not just from a basketball standpoint, but everyone in the city of Boulder and all the people I met on campus. I was really attracted by the coaching staff. They welcomed me, uh, made me feel like I was part of the team. Um, Love Boyle's philosophy. Um, He thinks it really complements his game. Um, Tad said that he can play guard, he can play multiple positions, um, as much upside as any player that we've ever signed at Colorado in terms of his length, athleticism, skill set. We don't recruit the D.C. area day in and day out, but we made a decision as a staff to kind of swing for the fences and get out of our comfort zone recruiting-wise with three to four kids in the junior class, and he was one of them. Uh, we, We got him to come in, take an official visit last February when we played UCLA, Even though we didn't win that game, our building was electric that night. Players fought hard. Um, We didn't win, but had a great experience. And I think he fell in love with Colorado basketball and what Colorado basketball is all about, um, which is a full CU event center, rabid fan base, great student section, and a great group of young men. Uh, His mom came with. I think that that, kind of rounds it out. We've talked about him in the past. Uh, We'll talk about him certainly in the future. Um, Julian Hammond III, he's a guard from Cherry Creek High School in Denver. Um, put up 22-7-4 as a junior. Um, that led the league in scoring and uh, got Cherry Creek to a number four seed. Um, 24-7 Sports has him ranked as the 30th combo guard and the number one player in Colorado. Um, number 30th combo guard in the nation, I should say. Um, yeah. Uh he also played quarterback at uh, Cherry Creek, which is notable. And his f- grandfather, Julian Hammond, played for the Denver Rockets in the ABA a long time ago. Um, Tad said he's a young man who comes from a great basketball family, a very good player in his own right. 
Um, the thing about Julian that I love, he's obviously a great high school football player. He's got one state championship under his belt, and I know they're shooting for another one this year. Um, playing quarterback in football shows he's got leadership. Uh, you have to have a level of toughness to play that game. Um, you feel like he's got that, but as a basketball player in his own right, he's a guy that can shoot it, can handle it, and he's got great anticipation skills. I think he's going to be a very good defender before it's all said and done as well. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, Lawson Lovering, another one of the really big name recruits, like one of the guys who comes in and changes the perspective that people have of Colorado basketball. Um, you'll remember he's the center the Buffs got in on him early, uh, listed seven foot two twenty out of Cheyenne, Wyoming, and um, two time All State, uh, shot sixty nine percent from the field last season, um, co player of the year. Um, uh, to do oh, there we go. 57th in rivals national rankings, ninth best center. Um, 24 7 sports has him as 46th in the national rankings. Uh, put up 15.9, 6.2, and shot 61% from the field last year. Um, do, do, do. he said, I'm, I think I'm a really skillful big, I move really well, which is going to help me play in the Pac 12. Uh, Tad said Lawson is from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Almost got I uh, almost consider him a Colorado guy just because we've been re recruiting him like he's a Colorado guy for so long. Um, credited Mike Roan for doing a great job in the recruiting process. That's an assistant coach. Um, yeah, he said that they've been scouting him since his freshman sophomore year and just watching him grow and develop. Um, and then more analytically said. I always say this with seven-footers. The first question I ask myself if we're recruiting a seven-footer is, would he be playing basketball if he were six feet tall? And if the answer is yes, you should probably recruit him because they love the game. They, they love the game. They're going to continue to get better at the game and work on their body and improve. If the answer is no, you probably shouldn't recruit him because, yeah, they're seven feet tall, but they're only playing basketball because they're seven feet tall and not playing because they love the game. And Lawson loves the game. And it's evident in how hard he works and the improvement he's made just in his high school career. Um, the final signing for Colorado uh, is Javon Ruffin, six, six foot five guard from New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, put up 22.3 points, 8.2 rebounds, 3.2 assists as a junior last year in New Orleans. Um, district title, made it to the semifinals in the uh, state, um, all state selection. Um, all his father is from Denver, Michael Ruffin. He played nine seasons in the NBA for six different teams. Here's what Javon had to say. Um, they have everything at Colorado. It's a good school. Uh, love the coaches after getting to know them. Haven't met a better coaching staff with the players that are there and the opportunities they'll be coming up with some players leaving. It's just going to be the perfect situation. Going to college is a dream for every basketball player and being able to play in such a competitive league with a team that has a chance to go to the tournament every year. It's exciting. Uh, Tad said this. Javon is another guy who I think the sky is the limit in terms of development. He's a big guard that can play and guard multiple positions. We've had a lot of success with six foot five, six foot six guards in our pro program, and Javon is another one in that line. He's a guy that can get to the rim, get to the foul line, shoot the three, and I think he's got the ability to be a very good defender. His dad, Michael, was a heck of a player at Cherry Creek back in the day, went on to a great career at Tulsa, and then a great NBA career. And I just remember the first conversation I had with Javon's parents. I remember I was an assistant at Oregon when Michael was coming out of Cherry Creek, and I did not pound on the table as an assistant to recruit him. 
And it was a big regret of mine because he turned out to be a great, great player. And I felt like he was going to be at the time, but I didn't pound the table. And so now here I am some 20 plus years later, and I've got the ability to recruit his son. And we, we went all in from the begin or from the very beginning on him. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, one more note that I kind of like. Uh, this is from his prep head coach. He said, he's a true combo guard. He can play on or off the ball. He's never sped up, never rushed. It's like having an extra coach on the floor. He's going to fill every stat line. He scores, he rebounds, gets assists, he defends the other team's top guards. It's what you expect out of a kid who grew up around the NBA with his dad. He just has a complete game. All right, um, so that's just like a quick breakdown from the press release that we got about the day um signing day big day i really hate moving on so quickly from this but there's a lot going on um and so we kind of have to um i should say if you want more information about these guys i don't know if it's up yet but within the next couple of hours uh ben girding dmvr buffs intern wrote up um, quick little scouting reports on all four of these guys with some other information. Uh, so check that out at thednvr.com, which you can do if you are a member uh, of DNVR. Um, and if you aren't, then now's a great time. You get so many great things like access to the site, the ability to comment on this podcast, and I'll read it. Um, there's uh, If you go to the DNVR bar, then you can get yourself uh, every single time you order a beer, it'll have like more beer. It's like an even bigger glass. It's 22 ounces. It's massive. That alone, you can pay for a membership. Um, but the best part is right now, if you become a DNVR member, this is like our big week where we're trying to push subscriptions and uh, we need your help. What we're doing is each beat is competing and trying to get as many people to sign up using their code, um, which is something we do about once a year around this time of year. Uh, so if you sign up this week using the code BUFFS, not only do you get access to all the normal stuff, you also get a free t-shirt of your choice from the DNVR locker. There's some really cool buff shirts. Um, you can get a free DNVR mask, and you also get a free sticker pack. So take advantage of the deal. That's a whole bunch of stuff on top of what you already normally get. And you can do that all if you use the promo code BUFFS. All you got to do is go to thednvr.com, click on the Join tab, select the Annual Pass. Uh, make sure you use the code BUFFS when you sign up so that our fan base gets credit for it. Okay. Um, should also give a quick shout-out to Green Mountain Dental Group. Green Mountain Dental is awesome. They'll take great care of your teeth. And uh, that should be a good enough reason to go out there. But there are plenty. Family-owned business um local business um big colorado sports fans also if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam at green mountain dental group you can get yourself a free sonicare toothbrush so make sure that you take advantage of that deal conveniently located in uh lakewood just 15 minutes away from downtown denver all right um wow we're already 15 minutes in the plan was to take tomorrow off because we're supposed to do five a week and we're going to have like the Saturday one come back Friday with a, a final preview of Stanford um, kind of put everything together Saturday have the post game after the game uh, which will be at the DMVR bar so say hi if you're there but wear a mask please um, uh, so yeah we got to get through pretty much all of this stuff today and let's just start with notes from practice um, Carl said that it was a good Wednesday practice, that they're still working on fixing the issues from last week. There's work to do, but they're addressing those things. And basically we'll just see what happens on Saturday. Um, 
those issues primarily being uh, the big plays that they allowed on defense. Um, talking about Stanford, he said that they played with a lot of young players last year, um, and and a lot of them came back this year, and so they do have a little bit more experience. Um, they've created a good balance, uh, especially in week one. They ran the ball effectively. He said the backup quarterback played well, which is something he also said earlier in the week. Um, but the big point today from Carl was that this is a different team, a different Stanford team than it was last year. Uh, he said that David Shaw's record speaks for itself and that this team's, this year's team is a lot more similar to the Stanford that you used to see than last year's team was. Um, also got some notes on Vontae. Uh, Vontae said that he would... Uh, or or uh, Carl said that Vontae was going to try to get into the rotation this week, um, and he's done with his suspension. Now he's ready to go play. Uh, so keep an eye out on that. Um, worth noting, this was something that we were following. Um, he was listed as the number three at one of the three receiver spots. It was Daniel Arias, one, uh, Brendan Rice, two, Vontae, three. And now... Uh, following the suspension, they flipped Brendan Rice and Vontae, which was kind of what we expected would happen. Um, uh, KD Nixon still listed his day-to-day, but he practiced today, and according to Carl, he thought he looked pretty good. Um, so that's something to pay attention to. Um, let's see, what else did we get in terms of injuries? Uh, Chris Miller's another one. Um, basically said, it's a next man up theory. Uh, Chris is doubtful. Colby Purcell still doubtful. Seems like we're going to see Josh Gines at center. Uh, see a rotation at um, the star position that Chris plays. Um, you know what? Let's just dig into that. Uh, so here's the thing that's happening. So on the depth chart right now, the number one star with Chris listed as injured, although there is still like a chance he could play. Um, the, the starter is Curtis Appleton, who's a local guy. He's a walk-on. Uh, now in his junior season, um, potential for a pretty cool story if things work out. Um, I'm not sure how much he'll be on the field. I, I would guess that there will be a, a rotation to fill the minutes that Chris Miller, or I guess the snaps that Chris Miller won't be out there for. Um, Isaiah Lewis is one guy in particular to pay attention to. I think we'll see a lot of him. Um because I thought this was interesting. We'll get into it with some of the notes. Um, but he was actually the Buffs' submission for Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week, which I thought was interesting. You know, there, there were a bunch of guys you could look at. Carson Wells, for example, being one of them. Um, just, you know, he had the interception. You had other guys forcing fumbles, that kind of stuff. Um, but that kind of shows um, what... Isaiah Lewis or what they think of Isaiah Lewis and I, I asked Carl about that because uh, you know I was just curious why did they choose him over some of the other guys and Carl said that um, he's a key special teams player he's a key member of that safety group uh, he had a great camp and here was the part that I was really interested in he said he was a lot like Jarek Broussard very consistent in camp very reliable um, and Isaiah Lewis has been just like that guy, and uh, it showed on the field. Uh, that's why they did what they did. Um, another note on Isaiah Lewis, he actually was credited with breaking up three passes. Uh, so for three pass deflections, 
that I mean, obviously it's a one game sample size, but in terms of pass breakups per game, he is currently number one in the entire NCAA with three passes defended per game. Um, again, it's uh it's early, but it's like a one game sample size, obviously, but he did play well. Um, and I'm glad that we had a chance to hear just a little bit more about him because I think we'll be seeing quite a bit of him. Um, he's still listed as a backup. Um, oh, I think he's I think he's listed as Mark Perry's backup. Um, I can't remember if they have him listed free safety or strong safety, but we've been told in the past that he's kind of the jack of all trades. When they need to sub somebody in somewhere in that secondary, it's probably going to be Isaiah Lewis. Um, what's interesting though with Chris Miller out, Curtis Appleton um, being listed as the starter now he was the number two before um you wonder how much Isaiah Lewis could steal some of those reps uh from Appleton and uh also should say that there's a note on the depth chart that calls Isaiah Lewis the number one nickel so when they change packages he's the guy who's out on the field um we'll keep paying attention to Isaiah Lewis um a veteran who may be ready for a big year um more notes in here um we talked a little bit about the next man up theory heard a lot about that you know josh Gines was the first time we heard about hearing about josh Gines because it does kind of seem like colby Purcell is going to be out this week um and Carl basically said, like, yeah, he did his job, but that's the expectation is if you're on the field, you better be able to just at least be fine. Um, but he did also add, like, that Josh is having a good week of practice so far um, and also that he is very excited by the opportunity that he has this week and he is very eager to compete. So that's something we'll be paying attention to as well. Um, Josh Gines at center filling in for uh, – Colby Purcell likely and also what that secondary looks like with Chris Miller out um only other injury I believe is Katie Nixon um and we heard he looked good today still day to day um all right oh he did uh talk uh Carl talked about James Stefano a little bit who retired earlier this week um basically said like we're sad to see him go um what happened was um for whatever reason, he was all banged up and he just didn't feel like he could perform to the sta standards that he had for himself. Um, wished him well. Also, Will Anglin, who was a member of the 2020 uh, recruiting class. Uh, you'll remember he was the one who's, I think, kind of, I, I mean, he was listed as the number three star, actually. He would have been a number two this week behind Appleton on the depth chart. Um, so he's like hybrid safety linebacker, can do a bunch of things. Um, but he was... Uh, from Ohio, he went to high school, um, not at Mel Tucker's old high school, but in that area. And so Mel knew him pretty well, and that's kind of why he came out here. Will was kind of on the fence about um, staying, you'll remember. I think he already entered the transfer portal and got out of it um, after Mel left convinced him to stay. Um, Carl said that with freshmen, a lot of times there's like more to it than – what's on the surface you know with veterans it's it's typically about playing time with freshmen there's a lot of stuff that comes out and carl said that for him there were some family issues um that he needed to take care of um wish him the best as well um oh one more update uh and that's on antonio alfano um he's not going to play this year he's still getting the medical data done don't know what those results are 
um, and that there's really just no new information there uh, or no new information if anything has been revol resolved. You remember, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was uh, Brian Howell or Adam Monster Tiger, but one of them said when we were trying to figure out what was going on that, um, then they tweeted this, this isn't like breaking information or anything, but uh, that Antonio uh, was diagnosed with epilepsy and they're still trying to figure out how to handle the seizures. And that's something that Antonio reached out to one of those two. I can't remember which one on Twitter and just said like, hey, here's what's up. Um, so that's what's going on there. Um, I don't think he even got the waiver this year, so it's not going to affect this year. Just hope that he is able to get that under control. Um, all right. Uh, Frank Phillip, the other buff we talked to today, he said uh, he's the starting right tackle, by the way. Uh, he's bigger this year. He's stronger this year. He feels like he understands the game a lot better. He feels smarter. Um, and that he's been working a lot on his technique, um, uh, especially with uh, new offensive line coach Mitch Rodrigue. Rodrig. Oh, no. Not this again. Okay, one second. I'm going to pause this and go to the media guide. Okay, it is Rodrigue. That's one of those names where it's like, I, I know what it is. The problem is just that I know that I've gotten it wrong so many times that I don't trust myself. But now, from here on out, Mitch Rodrigue. Rodrigue. So easy. Um, it goes by Coach Rod, which is just a little bit confusing. But Coach Rodrigue. Um... What did we? What were we talking about with Coach Rodrigue? Um, Frank Phillips said that oh he helped a lot with a, a lot of the technique stuff. Um, he feels like he personally has gotten a lot better in his run blocking because of a lot of the te technique stuff. Talking about hand placement, pad placement, all of that with Coach Rodrigue. Um, he also said that Coach Rodrigue's really hard on him. Um, that he wants to make him better. He's not going to let him make the same mistake twice. And pretty much you have to just get it right the first time. So. Um, that's what's going on there. And, uh, is there anything else? Oh, he also said that, uh, he loved seeing Sam do all the things that he was doing, jumping over guys, hitting guys, but also said he understands why he can't just always be doing that. Um, if Sam gets hurt running, that would be a very disappointing thing. And again, knocking on wood, I said something similar yesterday too, didn't I? Uh, um, after week one, he says that, uh, the the offense has a healthy amount of confidence. And the question was, how much confidence do you have? And that's what he said, a healthy amount, which is probably what you want to hear. It's a great answer. Um, he said that they're not inflating their ego. Um, they recognize that Stanford has a very big, very physical, and very well-coached defensive line, um, and that they've spent a lot of time looking at that. But he wasn't going to tell us what they were talking about when talking about that defensive line, which can't blame him for that. Um Last note from the press conference this morning, press conference, media availability, I guess. Yesterday is the press conference. Monday was the press conference. Whew, dude, it all just runs together. It all starts to run together. By the end of this season, my brain is going to be totally weaved in circles. Um, That doesn't even make sense. Uh, he talked about Jarek Broussard. Frank Phillip talked about Jarek Broussard. He said that uh, he knew that this was going to happen for Jarek, and he knew that he was going to have that kind of game. That... To me, when I hear that, I hear this is replicable. And that is all you could really ask for from Jarek Broussard at this point um, because he's proven what the ceiling is. Actually, no, he hasn't. He's he's proven what the floor for the ceiling is. You know, he he's capable of doing what he did. But how much more is he capable of? And should we expect him to do what he did again? Sounds like 
maybe maybe we should. You know, we talked about Isaiah Lewis being the leader in the NCAA in past breakups per game. Uh, well, Jarek Broussard is second in the NCAA in rushing yards per game. Again, it's small sample size. The odds of him keeping up like is a 189 yard per game pace. Like that's those are that's uh, not easy. But if you can do it once, why can't you do it twice? And if you can do it twice, then I'm sure you could do it against Arizona State. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited to talk about Arizona State next week too. Um, but first, we have a lot to cover from these notes packets. And uh, I think that there's some good stuff in there. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you about how much I love all of the beers at Breckenridge Brewery. Um, seriously, they are so good. So, so, so good. Um, I keep the fridge stocked. I think right now there's a lot of Strawberry Sky in there. Um, a couple of Avalanche Amber Ales. Oh, and the Mango Mosaic. That's the other one that I have a lot of. And then I just have like a few of a whole bunch of other things because that's, that's how beer works i feel like is you you always drink like if you buy six beers you'll drink five and then there's just one that kind of sits in there and then if you if you buy like 12 beers then you drink like eight of them and then there's like four beers that are just like left not like four to say eight at the same time or like like those are shared over days typically but you you know and so now i have like this nice collection of pretty much everything i still have a couple of those like christmas beers in there too um which I thought I was really smart for saving those because I knew I wasn't going to be able to get any of them. But it's kind of a waste if you don't drink them before they're on sale again, which I'm pretty sure they are. Huh. I don't, I don't have time to be thinking about what to read into that scenario. But uh, Breckenridge Brewery, so much good stuff. A great partner of ours. A local Colorado business, I should say. Um, although they have now expanded in a way that means that they can sell their beer in 36 states. So even if you're an out-of-state Buffs fan, you can probably check out some of these beers. And you can know for sure if you go to the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website, it'll tell you where to pick up any one of these beers that you could potentially want to try. Um, also, want to uh, let everybody know that there have been some big changes in the Colorado rugby space. And now we're spilling the details. DMVR is now covering all things rugby in Colorado and the United States. Reporter Colton Strickler is keeping you up to date on all things American rugby with the DNVR Rugby Podcast. And you can find his written rugby content right on our site with the rest of our coverage. It's just announced that Infinity Park in Glendale will be the new official training center for the men's and women's USA Eagles 15s teams. That means that Colorado is the place to be for rugby in the United States. Make sure you're keeping up to speed with us and and with Colton on the DNVR Rugby Podcast. You know that you can support the sport of rugby by following along with the latest news on Twitter at DNVR Rugby, downloading the DNVR Rugby Podcast. Um, and now is kind of the perfect time to do it because uh, our guy Colton is doing basic 101 pods to break down the game for you, and they're incredible. He's also bringing you exclusive one-on-one -on -one interviews with some of the biggest names in American rugby. Remember, supporting our partners is supporting us, so download the DNVR Rugby podcast and follow along at DNVR Rugby on Twitter. Okay, um, 30 minutes. I just, just watching this clock tick by this time of year is one of the more stressful parts of my life. Um, let's, uh, start with the notes packet. You know, you, you look at the, uh, Stanford notes and the first thing that jumps out at you is that they call their head coach, the Bradford M. Freeman director of football, but we've kind of beat that 
horse past death which is i don't know i guess when you take it out of like the way that people usually say that phrase it is kind of messed up we again don't have time for all my thoughts on this um let's see again first page should probably start with by their big by the numbers box first number is two um and that's the uh, number of turnovers that sophomore linebacker Lavani Lum and I can't get this thing to go away on the right half of the screen. Uh Lavani Demuni uh caused two turnovers Saturday, first career interception, first fumble recovery. Um 86 is the second number. That's how many wins that David Shaw has. Um also uh they won 98 games from 2010 to 2019, second most in the Pac-12. 10th most nationally, which is crazy to think. Like, you don't think of Stanford as a top 10 team of the last decade, but uh, the numbers don't lie. Um, 100, which is the yards that the uh, sophomore starting running back Austin Jones had in his first career 100-yard rushing game. And here's the reason why I wanted to go to this box in the first place. 191. Sophomore running back Nathaniel Pete had 191 all-purpose yards Saturday, 98 on kick returns, 93 rushing. Um, We've talked about him a little bit. We talked about him yesterday. The more I think about it, the more I get just a little bit nervous about how Nathaniel Pete's going to get used. Because if I'm being honest, like, I didn't even realize that he was the kick returner. Like, those are the plays where it's like, okay, can check my phone real quick. Like, are we doing all right? Um, But he was a very effective um, returner, and it's because of that speed. And and I am just a little bit worried about what he could do to the Buffs if if Stanford just tweaks its plan a little bit. Um, you know, he isn't like the most natural fit for what Stanford wants to do. They, they really want to pound the ball inside. I'm not sure if I said this number yesterday, but I should say they they have the center Drew Dahlman, um, who's really the anchor of that line, and uh, he. Obviously is like in the middle of the line when they've run either to his left or his right between him and the left guard or him and the right guard, which they did 14 times last week. They averaged 10.7 yards per carry. They were very effective. But the thing is with a guy like Nathaniel Pete, you're asking a lot for a guy to be a speed back who's mostly pounding the middle of the field and trying to find running lanes. You know, that's something that we saw from Jarek Broussard last week that he is capable of doing. He he can make somebody miss in the hole and be off and running. I wonder if Pete kind of needs to be given the ball in space, you know, on tosses, on even on stretch runs, just kind of getting him at the edge, whereas the strength of this offensive line very clearly is running the ball in the middle of the field. Um, and so I guess that's how I kind of talk myself out of being too scared of Nathaniel Pete. Um, but I, I kind of just have some bad vibes, if I'm being honest. Um, um, some more interesting notes. Stanford has actually won 12 consecutive home openers. Don't love that. Um, when Carl Durrell was at UCLA, he was 4-1 and one against Stanford. I do like that. Um Going back, they, they really focused on what happened last decade. Um, most conference wins, uh, second most draft picks in the Pac-12, eighth most draft picks nationally, um, most first-team All-Americans. They had 24 first-team All-Americans, which is crazy because that's 2.4 AP All-Americans in 
every year, which which is a lot. Uh, um, which it's the seventh most in the country, I guess. Um, also, I didn't realize this, but they've won twenty five straight directors' cups, which goes to the like athletic director who wins the most, just a national award. Um, twenty five in a row because they mostly because of like the Olympic sports. They have forty four years in a row, a forty four year streak of having a national championship, um, at least in one sport. Um, this isn't the most important stuff. Actually, you know what? I think it's sneaky might be important. Um, I guess we can start by saying that there are 96 Disneylands that could fit inside of Stanford's campus. And on that campus, they have 43,000 trees. Um, and I guess that's probably part of the reason why their mascot is a tree, the Cardinal. Nobody knows what that is. Um, but this season, Stanford is actually partnering with Lowe's to plant 450 trees inside the stadium. So there are now 450 trees inside of Stanford Stadium. Um, they're in like a U-shape behind both the end zones and behind the visitor's bench. Um, they'll be moved to somewhere in the Bay Area after this season. I mean, they'll be like kind of like spread out. It's like, oh, here's one of the Stanford trees. We're going to plant it in this park. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, there'll also be cardboard cutouts in the stands. But I am very curious to see what all these trees are going to look like behind the end zone. 450 trees is a lot of trees to put on a football field. I, I mean, any trees is probably too many in my opinion, but I don't know. See, this is why you go through the notes. 96 Disneyland's on campus. There will be 450 trees inside the stadium. Um, also thought it was interesting that Stanford has both of their coordinators in the press box. Um, I guess I don't know if that's too uncommon in college football, but it, it feels like it is. The Buffs don't. I think the Buffs have uh, they have Jay Johnson, Taylor Embry, and I think Brian Michalowski. I think those are the only three coaches. I think well, then there's like the quality control guys who are up there too. Um, but I think those are the only three that are up in the box for Colorado. Um, Okay. Uh, also, they have a fullback listed on the depth chart. I guess when I was going through these, I thought that was worthy of a note. Um, oh, here's something interesting about the experience. Um, so looking at the streaks for starters, like like guys on the team who have started the most consecutive games, the longest on that defense is six. There are two who have four, and the rest have one. They have almost no no experience back there. And just for perspective, you know, like Nate Landman, he started 25 games in a row. Um, Will Sherman started 22 games in a row. Um, Kari Cooch actually has had 13. I think, um, oh, Carson Wells has 10. Darion has 10 as well. Um, yeah, so, so it is kind of interesting just to see how much turnover they have had. Um, I guess this isn't in these notes, but I'm not sure if I mentioned it. Um, last week, when Oregon was able to run on Stanford, you know, and that was kind of a shift. That's something that David Shaw pointed out yesterday as being like one of the reasons the games kind of turned was because Oregon figured out how to run in the middle of the field. Like they were able to get some space there. Um, but that Oregon offensive line. The fact that they kind of like took some time to to get going, but then once they got going, they were able to kind of push Stanford around up front and create running lanes. 
I think that that is a very good sign for Colorado um, because although when you think of like, okay, Oregon's offensive line maybe struggled a little bit, that would typically scare you just because of the amount of talent that Oregon has. Um, but they actually had just just among the six offensive linemen who left the program after last year, um, most of them, or at least three of them made it to the NFL. I think did a fourth? I think Throck. I don't know. But um, they lost 222 starts on the offensive line last year. If if they had all five guys starting every game for four years, it would have been 240. So basically, there were 18 starts that were potentially missing, which is pretty crazy. Um, and again, it's because like they have that sixth lineman who rotated in whenever somebody got hurt, and then they all left. Um, but those numbers are just pretty absurd. And I think this year they have, I think, six combined starts among all of their offensive linemen. And so that offensive line that is now totally overturned um the fact that they were able to develop a running game and run on Stanford I think that that is a very good sign for Colorado's ability to do the same thing um back to the notes though um oh here's some interesting stats from that game um Stanford had 6.4 yards per rush Oregon had 6.7 uh, Stanford had 8.3 yards per pass. Oregon had 8.7. Total yards per play was 7.2, 7.5, with Oregon just barely coming out ahead. And and that's what's pretty crazy about the fact that that game was 35 to 14. You look at those numbers and say like like a, a lot of a lot of the uh, formula for how Vegas is going to set betting lines is based on yards per play and yards per play allowed. And you kind of figure that stuff out. And over time, a lot of the fluky things like turnovers balance out and that sort of thing. And it really does come down to the yards per play. A 0.3 yards per play gap between Oregon and Stanford in a game that was 35 to 14 is really surprising. Like like that easily could have been like four yards per play. And it would have made a lot more sense. Um, that surprised me. What surprised me even more is that neither team had any, had any points off of turnovers. And so you see that 7.2, 7.5 and say, well, obviously, like, the reason why Oregon won by three touchdowns was probably that Stanford turned the ball over. No. No points off turnovers either side. In fact, Oregon turned the ball over twice and Stanford didn't turn the ball over. One of the things you expect from Stanford is they don't turn the ball over. Again, very disciplined football team. Um, for a Colorado team that really did benefit off of um, – the, the turnovers last week, I think their average starting field position was 17 yards better than UCLA's. So that tells you right there how big of a difference those turnovers were. Uh, I think that that's something to watch is those turnovers. But I think the reason why Oregon wound up winning that game by so much is the third downs. Um, Oregon converted nine of 11 third downs. Stanford converted four of 13 first downs. And that really decided... Um, a lot of the game, in my opinion. Also, uh, have to talk about what happened in the red zone. Oregon was five of seven in the red zone. Um, Stanford was only two of four. Um, Stanford also missed four field goals. So that's 12 points there. Oregon also missed a field goal, which is pretty crazy that the, the kickers in that game combined to go 0 for 5. Um, another thing to watch is what happens with Stanford's kicker because. <laughs> things were not good last week. If they're giving away points, that'll be great for Colorado. Um, but those third downs are something that we're going to be watching as well and turnovers for the buffs.
I guess they can force them. I think that that's that was it from the Stanford notes. Um, we're gonna go through the Colorado notes, and there's some stuff that I'm really excited to talk about in there. Um, after, I give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, love DraftKings Sportsbook. They're such a great partner of ours, and this Sunday will truly be a Sunday like no other. With this weekend's major golf tournament, along with both professional and collegiate football, there will be no shortage of action. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, wants to put you in the center of the action with so many different ways to make it rain. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right. You bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting on all of Sunday's action. This weekend, there's plenty of action to get in on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings will have special promotions and odds boosts every day of this year's tournament in Augusta, Georgia. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code DNVR during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Risk-free coverage, paid out in site credits. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Oh, I took a lot of notes in this car thing. Okay, there's some interesting stuff, though, so let's start with it. Um, already touched on Vontae Chenault being listed ahead of Brendan Rice. That is fairly significant news. Um, I, let's spend a little bit of time on it. Um, we saw some really great things from Maurice Bell last week. We saw what you really can't expect to see, but you kind of hope for. You know, we've talked a lot about how there's these groups of receivers. You have your top three with KD, Dimitri Stanley, Daniel Arias. Those guys you really hope are just locked in and you can trust them and you have your top three right there. Daniel Arias showed some really good things, made a big play, which is what he's in this offense to do. I mean, you, you probably just hope that you get two big plays instead of one big play um, or, or even just like a couple of smaller plays to go with that one big play. But it's his first game as a starter. I am still very excited to see where he goes. Um, so you have kind of those top three, and then we've talked a lot about how there's really like five, six, seven more guys who could potentially be valuable pieces of the Buffs rotation at receiver if they go five deep, six deep, seven deep, however deep it is. Um, and we didn't really know which of those guys would make it into that rotation, be stable parts of that rotation. I think Maurice Bell proved himself. I think that the way that he ran with the ball, the, the way that he ran to go get the ball, I, I think you have to be impressed. Brendan Rice, he, he, he did a couple things, but he isn't by any means like going to be a part of this rotation throughout the season. He's got to make a couple more plays. Um, and, and I think that that was true of Montana Lamonius Craig, who was in there as well. Um, good to get him reps. Good to get experience. Very important. But if they're going to be on the field two, three weeks from now, they're going to need to make some plays. I think that this week is Levante Chenault's week to rotate in and see if he can do more of what Maurice Bell did 
and and solidify his role in this rotation. I think this is a very big week for him. Um, and I think that he is a very exciting player. Um, he doesn't play all that much like his brother. You should probably start there. You know, he's he's longer than his brother. He's he's a different sort of athlete. He isn't as much power. He has more speed. He has longer arms. He has the bigger catch radius. He's more of your prototypical receiver. Um, somebody who can get open, um, has good speed, and will get his hands on the ball and bring it in. Like he'll he'll go get you some jump balls. He'll moss some guys. Um, at least in theory. You know, you have to see it play out on the field. But the book on him is that that's kind of what we should expect is a, a more balanced, rounded, but still like in that number one prototypical receiver mold type of receiver. Um, big week for him to prove that he belongs ahead of Brendan Rice, um, which, you know, he probably should, given that he's been in this program for a year now. Um, moving on from that, uh, this could be the third time that the Buffs start Pac-12 play 2-0. and um, Kind of crazy. It's only happened twice since they joined the conference. Um, but... You know, just another feather in Carl Durrell's hat if, if he can make it happen. Um, and that's only one way you can look at it. You know, feather in Sam Neuer's hat too. Um, but uh, David Shaw, Carl Durrell, they've never played as head coaches. But Carl Durrell was the head coach at UCLA once when Shaw was an aide at Stanford, which is kind of crazy to think about because you think of David Shaw as this very well-established presence but Carl Durrell was a head coach well before David Shaw was. Um, just just one of those things that puts everything into perspective here. Um, but even though they've never met, um, uh, Carl Durrell did beat him, by the way, in that game where Shaw was an eight at Stanford. They also met five times in the NFL as assistants. And I'm pretty sure those were... Oh, I, I, should, I didn't take the note. I think, I think he... I think Carl might have been five and zero in those, either that or four and one. Um, so yeah, there's a little history there. Um, also, last week was the first time since 2012 that a tight end has led Colorado in receiving yards. Uh, it was Scott Fernandez back then. It was also the most re- receiving yards that a tight end has had uh, since that same season, but that was actually Nick Casa. Um, so good start for Brady Russell. You know, we've been hyping him up on this podcast. He he did what he needed to do, and I think we should be excited about what more could come in the future um, just as he gets even more comfortable because he wasn't running downfield routes last year. You know, like, that's... Now having that under your belt in a game, having caught a ball that far away from the line of scrimmage, I, I think that that can be a, a building point um, for Brady Russell, and I'm excited to see how the rest of the season goes for him. Um Buffs are naming captains every week. I'm not, I don't think we've said this on the podcast, so I took the note, but Mustafa Johnson, Nate Lamon, Brady Russell, Will Sherman, they were the four captains against UCLA. Still don't know who the captains will be for this week. Um, they're players of the week, so they release like their own players of the week, and then they also nominate players for like Pac-12 player of the week. Um, but just the Buffs like named players of the week, um, on offense, they listed Jarek Broussard, and they started the entire offense, or, or they listed the entire starting offensive line. Um, pretty cool, seems fair too. Um, on defense, uh, their their players of the week were Mustafa Johnson, Nate Landman, Carson Wells. On special teams, the player of the week was Darian Rakestraw, forced the fumble. Um, then the offensive scout players of the week. 
John Deichman. I don't know if it's Deichman or Deichman. Um, one second. I'm not going to get this wrong because if I get it wrong, I'm going to keep getting it wrong. Looks like it's Deichman. Um, so, so there we go. Not going to screw that one up. John Deichman. Uh, what were we saying about him? Oh, yeah. Offensive scout team player of the week um, as an offensive lineman. The other offensive scout team player of the week was Levante Chenault. So a good sign there. That's what you want to see. Defensive scout team player of the week. Jason Harris, another thing you really like to see, a freshman who is, I guess, making some noise uh, in practice. Special team scout player of the week is Ryan Travis. Um, here's what kind of surprised me was the Pac-12 player of the week nominations. Offense, it was Jarek Broussard. Offensive line, it was Will Sherman. Defense, though, Isaiah Lewis, who wasn't even on their defensive players of the week, so that was kind of like a weird thing. Uh, we talked about why Isaiah Lewis got that nod earlier in the show. And then defensive line, um, Pac-12 Player of the Week nominee was Mustafa Johnson, um, and they didn't nominate special teams or freshman Player of the Week. Um, this is just some... We're just going to fly through some of these. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, the 14th true freshman to start in an opener. Um, oh, here's something interesting about Sam. Uh, this was a note. I'm just going to read it word for word because we're going to pull some stuff. We're going to make some assumptions. So uh, he is one of the few players in CU history that moved from offense to defense and back to offense during his career. He requested a move to safety so he could contribute to the team in 2019. Steven Montez was locked in as the starting quarterback. Originally in the transfer portal, the coaches convinced him to stay. That's kind of the first time we heard he requested a move to safety. So maybe it wasn't so much Mel saying, we need you to go play safety as much as it was him saying, I want to go see the field. Interesting. Uh, this is the latest season opener since 1918. Um, or it was. That was also because of a pandemic. Um, the latest season ender will be this season as well. It's a week later than the 1890 finale. Um, last week was the most first half points since Oregon State in 2016. Uh, Tiger Woods played in seven college golf tournaments that included CU um, while he was at Stanford. Oh, oh, I was talking about the elevation at Stanford yesterday. The elevation is 23, so I'm not wrong. Um, in the last 50 games, Stanford is sixth in the Pac-12 with a 29-21 and 21 record. CU in the last 50 games is... Seventh, right behind him, with a 25 and 25 record. Um, last week there was 554 attendance out of a 675 uh, allowed capacity. Um, last year was the first. Oh, the Colorado Stanford game last year was the first sub three hour game that Colorado's played since uh, 2017. It's a 33 minute first quarter, and in that first quarter, Stanford only put up 60 total yards, which was the best of the year. Um, Buffs have won 74 in a row, allowing 13 or fewer points. Um, they've won 23 in a row, uh, dating back to 2009 when they've allowed 17 or fewer points. So there's kind of a window that you would really like to see is can they keep them to 17 or less like they did last year. Um, Stanford has the fewest returning starts in the Pac-12. Uh, Colorado is third, um, third fewest, I should say. Um Oh, here's an interesting one. Last year, the Buffs offense averaged 2.91 20-plus yard passing plays per game. They, they, they had 2.91 of them themselves. And in week one, uh, the Buffs this year had six 
So that's a, a good start. Also, last year they led for 250 total minutes in 12 games. This or last week they led for 55. So they're over 20% of the total for last year, which is pretty crazy. Um, 37 and 11 when they have a hundred yard rusher and a hundred uh, yard receiver. I think that that might be a good goal. I think Broussard probably gets the hundred. Does somebody step up? Does Daniel Arias get you the the two big plays, which there's a decent chance would get you to a hundred? Um, Katie Nixon in his return, does he go for a hundred? Um, Maurice Bell, does his role in the offense grow if Katie Nixon is out again? Um, because he got the start in his place last week. Dimitri Stanley, he had six catches. I think four of them, maybe? Maybe even five of them were in the first half. If, if he had kept up his early game pace, he probably would have gotten to 100 last week, too. And of course, Brady Russell was a leading receiver last week. I don't know. They have some options, so we'll see if maybe they can make that happen. That's another good goal, though. 100 yards rushing for a 100-yard rusher, 100-yard receiver. They're 37-11. Um, they ran for 264 last week. Uh, when running for 250 yards or more, or, or more as a team since 2001, they're 30 and two. Um, 250—that's a. I, I think that that would be a challenge to do again. But you know, that's kind of the, the window you're looking at. If you get there, you're gonna win. Um, oh, also one more, one more Colorado note. Um, we talked about the yards per play with Oregon and Stanford last week. Well, on first downs in the Colorado game. Colorado only averaged 5.3 yards per play. UCLA had 7.1 yards per play. And so, we, you know, we, we talked about the early down pressure, um, trying to get in the backfield more and knock teams backwards on first and second down when you don't have all the fancy blitz packages all ready to go. Um, maybe didn't see quite as much as that as we would like. We did talk about it a little bit yesterday um, when talking about the defensive line, how maybe there was more of an emphasis on just not letting Dorian Thompson Robinson out of the pocket and, and a little bit less of an emphasis at uh, on uh, trying to go bring him down in the backfield. Um, against less mobile quarterbacks this week, that's something I'd like to see, is see more of that early down pressure and see if you can get that 7.1 yards per play on first down, down somewhere more manageable. Okay. I think... In an honest, like, quick reflection, I think that that was probably too much information. And next week when we do this, I'm going to really cut a bunch of things out and spend more time on the things that we do have. Um, but I don't know. There's a whole bunch of things to put into your head. Let them shake around. I'll be back Friday with another podcast. And in that one, we'll really wrap up what to expect from Stanford. You know, final thoughts on that running game where I'm – you know, I don't know what to expect. I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about what that combination of Nathaniel Pete and Austin Jones can do. But also, I really just need to profess my love for Simi Fioco, the receiver for Stanford, who I think is, when you look at Stanford's paths to victory, I think one of them is um, that, that Pete breaks a couple of those big runs because he is so fast. If he can just find a crease, he's probably gone. That's one of the paths to victory. A, a Simi Fayoko 150, honestly, even like 200-yard game kind of feels like it's on the table just given the skill set, you know, as a six foot four, 230-pound receiver who runs a 4-3, 40-yard dash and has already proven to be able to do all the things that he's obvious already done. Um, that's really the other thing about this offense that is starting to 
make me make me wonder what's going to happen. We'll dig into all that stuff. We'll dig into the other side of the ball too. And I'm really excited. Hopefully you guys will be back for another episode and watch out for that sometime Friday. And then again, the last show of the week will be Saturday afternoon, actually Saturday evening when this is over. Um, after the Colorado uh, Stanford game, which is on ESPN now, by the way, that was a recent change. Um, still the same broadcast crew, still Beth Moens again this week. I don't think Shelly Smith was a sideline reporter. I think that's the only change from last week. Um, and uh, But that's still at 1.30 on ESPN, and uh, we'll have a post-game live stream afterward. It should be a lot of fun. You can find that on the DMVR YouTube page. Uh, you can also find that on Twitter um, at the DMVR Buffs, DMVR underscore Buffs Twitter account. And that should be starting up pretty quickly after the game ends. And that's, uh, I think that's all the information I have to pass on. It's pretty crazy how nice it is just to have sports back. And you just get to go through this weekly cycle. It's like I, I'm eager to see Jarek Broussard play again. And we're only a couple days away. And then Arizona State Week next week. That's going to be an interesting game. Um, especially given some recent history, you know, both teams, you know, I guess Arizona state had that tough loss, but I think that Colorado is going to have some real momentum. Um, so yeah, we'll be back Friday with more to chat about and I'll see you then. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Cause when I'm in it play I don't really, I don't really know just how to 